Hello, it's your GM Alex, welcoming you back to another episode. First, I just want to thank everyone who participated in our first ever merch sale. It was a great turnout. As I said, it was a temporary store and is now closed, but if you think you missed the merch train altogether, do not despair. Shortly after the closing, we launched our new long-term store. Link is in our website, inspiredincompetence.com. This store has more than just shirts and more designs to choose from. Check out our Your Max Roll is My Mineral design. Shirts are still available, but now you can also get stickers, mugs, phone cases, and more, all with our logo. So hurry on over to our website and contribute to our capitalist agenda, you consumer drones. In other news, our call to arms is still in progress. Get on Facebook and give our page a like to be in the running to win your very own mini spellbook from Elderwood Academy. Look, cons are so close to being a thing again. And if you want to sit down at a table of strangers and instantly win their approval, you cannot go wrong with throwing down one of these authentic wooden spellbooks and opening it up to reveal a compartmentalized case for dice and a mini plus a dice rolling pad. You will be the King Stranger and you're welcome in advance. Social media not your thing? Well, come check out our Patreon page to learn how you can still be in the call to arms and even improve on your chances if you've already liked us on Facebook. We're less than $30 away from hitting our Patreon goal of $250 a month, at which time we'll be overhauling our reward tiers and give you even more love. Merch, social media, and Patreon. Yep, I think that will cover today's infomercial. Thank you for your patience. Now it's time for me to return the favor with today's episode. Episode 16. Hero. Is it wheel you're looking for? I'll give you two reasons to listen to today's episode of the Inspired Incompetence podcast. First, we always follow through. And second, welcome back. How's everybody doing? Hello. Pretty uh, good. Nice intro. Little anxiety in you. my in my stomach right now. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah. So we uh we last left off uh on a good note. Question mark? Better the, than it wasn't better than average. Note. Yeah, one of the better notes that we've had since we started. Yeah, it's yeah. been depressing all the way not, through. Like not I'm, just this campaign either. Like Skull and Shackles <laughs> as well. <laughs> yeah. This is one of the best uh <laughs> like do we even want to start? Like or, or do you I think, think we, we should, should just call like, it quits there. You should just leave the campaign right here because I mean, yeah, it's probably the best it's gonna get. Just call it on a high note here. <laughs> yeah, you guys, you guys have a roof over your heads, a bed under your uh, bellies, your feet, food in our bellies, bed under our backs, and food uh, in our bellies. Exactly. You guys are well fed. You're about to get a good night's sleep, but you have still elected to do watches, which I salute you for. But let's uh, so let's let's go right to that. Who has first watch? I think I called it last week. Okay, so Vipira, why don't you describe to me what you do during your watch? Are you staying in the bedroom and just kind of being ready for something bad to happen, or are you like patrolling the house, walking oh, around? No, I'm like sticking like uh, this is home base, so like okay. I'm sticking right at home base. Vipira is probably like, she's not necessarily like, you know, hyper focused, but she's probably like pacing the room, you know, uh, 
trying to figure out like something to do to like entertain herself but meanwhile she's also like keeping an ear on things making sure like uh she's getting used acclimated to like all the creaks and moans of this house okay uh sounds good uh give me a perception check i'll take a 10 okay so vipira you uh you're you're acclimating yourself to like all the creaks and moans of the house and a few hours go by and maybe it occurs to you that like you've been paying more attention to those than actually uh leaving yourself to be aware of other noises and this this thought probably occurs to you when you when you hear uh after a few hours of silence and you hear a sliding door open uh beyond your door and uh you hear oh. some footsteps going by and then another sliding door opens and then you hear silence. Yeah, I mean, as much as uh, as much as you guys think that Vipira is like uh, gung ho on her own type of thing, oh god, no! Like, <laughs> she knows where safety is. Like, it's in numbers currently, so it's not a cause for alarm. But she's definitely like, uh, she's definitely going to warn the next person who like uh, who I wake up. Okay. Uh, about an hour goes by, and your watch passes uneventfully. I go to wake up. Elias. Elias. What? What? Oh, how was your watch? Well, it was mostly uneventful. Um, uh -huh. I will say, though, I heard some doors sliding. If you wouldn't mind, just keep an ear out. If anything sounds like it's out of place, uh, such as a sliding door sound or anything like that, uh, you know, just keep track of it. Well, where was the noise coming from? It seemed to be outside the door. I didn't go uh, exploring. I know Keisha Keish is uh, around here somewhere, so maybe he's up and about moving around. Okay. Well, I'll uh, try not to die and keep watch. You get some rest. Appreciated. And uh, she probably just like falls asleep right where you like left your mark on the bed. That's adorable that we sleep in each other's spots. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's smart yeah, if you is... think about it. Like, it's just... Yeah. All right, uh, Thalias, why don't you give me a perception check? Yeah. Are you Are you staying in the room or are you uh, walking around the house? Hmm. That's a good question because if I was Snail Man, I wouldn't want people, you know, slinking around my house. But also, I don't really want to guard the door and then when people come in, be like, uh-oh, <laughs> I guess I guess they're here, everybody. Right. <laughs> you know, for safety, it sort of seems like I should guard more than the door. So if Vipira heard strange noises and says she didn't leave the room, maybe I'll venture just outside of the room, you know, around here in this room, uh, listen for strange noises. And if I don't hear anything, I'll sort of head back to the room, but stay alert. I'll tell you what I'm not doing. I'm not opening any doors that I didn't see Kishikish himself open uh, due to the, you know, monsters that could be behind there. And um, sure. I'm definitely not going outside. <laughs> so if, if either of those things, um, you know, you you have action in, I, I will not be investigating. Okay. Okay. So you poke your head out into the dressing room and the coast seems clear. Uh, so go ahead and give me a perception check. Okay. Twelve. Uh, with about an hour left in your watch, uh, you hear some footsteps. Uh-oh. I run back to the <laughs> run back to the room. <laughs> Do you? Shut the door. They're your own <laughs> footsteps. Sure. 
<laughs> were they my own footsteps? I'm going to be <laughs> so stupid if they were mine. <laughs> no, they were not your own footsteps. Uh, so you shut yourself back in the bedroom. With the door closed, you don't hear the footsteps anymore, but then they start growing louder again. And uh, beyond your door, you hear some sliding doors open. And you hear the footsteps cross the, the dressing room. And then I, you hear well, another sliding door. I look through the keyhole while I'm there's, not cowering. There's no keyhole. Sort of, it's a sliding door. Oh, it's a sliding door. What's with it's this like, guy in his sliding doors? Because he's a snail, probably. <laughs> That's got to be it. You crack the door open. Uh, I really want to see, so... And, you know, I don't think I would if this was the first hearing of it. Like, if I just heard it, I'd be like, oh, I don't know about that. But Vipira heard it, so now it's like a mystery that the gang needs to solve. And I'm the gang. (laughs) Okay. So you crack the door open? Defensively, I will crack the door open. Alright. You crack the door open and you see Kishikish, and he's about to open... The, uh, the, du- the double sliding doors that lead to his room. And uh, he, like out of the corner of his eyes, he sees some, like, some sort of movement. He looks over at you and he says, Ah, Thelias, uh, so sorry. I hope I didn't disturb you. He's carrying like a small stack of books under his uh, one of his uh, arms. I sheepishly say, uh, Oh, hey, Kish, Kish, sorry. Uh, as you were. And I just creak the door back shut. You, you hear like some grumbling and then the the sliding doors open beyond your room and Kishikish goes back into his room the rest of your watch passes uneventfully oh whew. excellent well we <laughs> solved that mystery i'll tell vipira not now because she's sleeping but i'll wake up uh <laughs> vipira next, per- <laughs> next person in line and uh i'll tell who's the next person i should know this it was you Trude, right it yeah. definitely wasn't Rogyar because he just does not participate in watches. <laughs> he did once. I, but did he? Yeah, he's yeah, he's kind of a lazy fuck. Okay. <laughs> yeah, like right <laughs> after the Palace of Teeth, I stayed up with uh, with Uchi oh, for that's his right. watch. Yeah. Well, but yeah other than, the, other than that, Rogyar just goes and passes out. He's not used to this adventuring lifestyle. He doesn't know. I wake up, Utrid. Hey, hey, Utrid. Uh, yes, the life is my turn already. Yeah. And uh, everything went well, except for that snail. Nothing bad, but he's been walking around and reading. Yeah, Kishiki, she's a big reader, so watch out. Uh, I would assume he was. You saw how extensive his library is. Oh, yeah. Well, now that you mentioned that, that makes a lot of sense. Earth lies, uh, er, uh, Uhtred. Anything special about your watch? No. Um, I think the lie is... Again, he's not wasn't really expecting anything bad to happen during the watch. It was just more of a precaution than anything. So he, I don't think he he's not really gonna wander around or like you know go snooping through more of Kishikis's house. He's been a very gracious host to us. So he'll probably just stay in uh, like in the bedroom, or maybe he'll sit like outside. Uh, in D17, the room outside the bedroom on like one of the chairs. And uh, I think the only thing he would do is um, prepare spells during the last hour of his watch. Okay. Uh, except just uh, one thing. Those aren't chairs. Those are like uh, wardrobes. Well, then he'll sit on the floor in front of the wardrobe. Okay. Uh, your night passes without issue. Your watch, that is. And uh, we can fast forward to everybody waking up. And 
Uhtred, you have prepared your spells for the day. Ah, lovely. Hey, um, one sec. Before I go to bed... Oh, no, I used all my lay on hands. Never mind. I wanted to make sure I used up all my spells, but I did. How much do I regenerate for waking up? Because I, I was still missing HP when I went to bed. Everybody who gets a full night's rest heals three hit points. Oh, Vipera was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Rugger's still down a bit too. But um, She's also missing Khan. She you heal that. one overnight. I heal one overnight? Okay. So if how what was your con damage what is your con damage now? Rugger is uh, still working off that dex damage from the Palace of Teeth, but now after that <laughs> yeah. after this night's rest, I'm only down I have one dex damage, so it's no longer mechanically affecting me. So uh she was missing uh two and now she's down to one. Which means that Okay, she's... so you're yeah, so you're more or less in the clear too. Yeah. Nice. Uh okay, so as you guys are uh Getting up, getting dressed, whatever you're doing. Uh, Kisha Kish comes over. He invites you down for breakfast, though. Uh, but he apologizes that all he has is more rice and jerky. I'm sorry that I have more food for you guys. I'll take whatever food I can get, obviously. Yes. Rocks and moss outside. Love this guy. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Kisha Kish. Yes, my dear. I'm just wondering, do you sleep at night? I heard a lot of motions uh, coming outside, sliding doors and other things. Just wondering. Well, uh, strictly speaking, I don't need to sleep to get by, but it is still nice to rest my weary back. And he kind of like rubs his giant snail shell and uh, digest my thoughts for the day. It is. It is. It is not uh, out of a biological need that uh, that. That you mortals uh, are afflicted with. All right, yeah. So he, uh, so he, uh, uh, you guys go downstairs with him into the uh, the dining room, and he uh, serves you all some more rice and jerky while you're eating. I just want, uh, I'd like to kind of like dim the lights on the on like the 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 dining room scene, and I just kind of wanted to check in with everyone. And just kind of okay. get a get a feel with where, how everybody's characters are doing, like physically, mentally, emotionally. Like obviously, this is a th- this is the most comfort you've experienced on your journey. But like, where does that leave you? Anybody want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. I'm okay. uh I'm definitely on the upswing here. When we uh first left that tomb, and then you know we're fighting and bleeding on the ground, and no one had any spells or. There was no, there was no plan. That was a, you know, getting to be a low point, and then it got a little better. But there was still a lot of uh, heartache and strife with the town, and more mysteries. You know, I feel like I knew even less of what's going on. It's like I know more, but somehow that's less. Uh, and yeah. then now I've got two stamps. I've got you know, the first sort of helpful person we've interacted with i mean we've had some help but this guy is sort of top tier in terms of helping us and uh you know we're learning more from him even now and the third task you know the third stamp here i'm feeling pretty good way way better than i've ever felt and um we've got items too that have been helping us so like the more we get those you know it doesn't feel like we're broken penniless it feels like we at least have something on our side 
So yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm feeling pretty good right now. That's good. Uh, that's uh, that's one of my f- personal favorite things about the survival horror genre, or I, I guess like the survival part of the survival horror is like every item that you find is so important. Yeah, because way more important than I thought. Because I mean, I've gotten yeah. items in the past. <laughs> And it's like, oh, sweet, item, item, item. But now it's like, oh, my God, like, I'm clutching this item with my life. Yeah. Everything we get is like a gift from the heavens. Like, oh, my God, thank you. (laughs) I can't believe it. Yeah. Like the like the bead of healing that Thalias has, that's like getting the shotgun in Resident Evil. You're just like, fucking finally. (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. Or like the the, the wand of cure light wounds, like, and like the, the, the full plate mail that Thalias has now, like, just the scimitar that Uhtred got, like every little thing is like, Oh my fucking God. Like, like I'm so much better now, but like, you're just, you guys are like, you don't have access to like shops right now. There's no, there's no no place that you can go to just be like, I just want this super simple, cheap item. It would help me so much. It's like, no, you like, maybe you'll find it, but (laughs) there's no, there's no trading. There's no buying. There's no stealing. Like you get what you get. And this man's simple rice and jerky is amazing, yeah. right? Like, yeah, even just such a simple, such a simple thing that like probably so many other campaigns take for granted. And I mean, I know I did before I was starting to like plan this campaign now, and I was just like, "Geez, they're like just eating is is yeah." Good. It's like, like a, we're gonna have to address that. Our uh, pirate campaign, there, you know, we're eating these feasts. I'd be, I feel like yeah. a dog begging for scraps at that table, you know, like, please, yeah. <laughs> just throw something on the ground, I'll eat it. Exactly. Uh, okay, who wants to go next? I'll go next. So, physically, Uhtred's feeling pretty good, especially after some real food and, like, a, an actual night's rest and more of the comfort creatures. And, you know, he's leveled up, so, like, physically he feels a lot stronger. But definitely mentally he's... He's not in the best of places. I mean, not only is he still processing and dealing with the fact that Rosler Coffer has been, like, destroyed and, you know, the vast majority of the people in his life are dead now. He's also recently been dealing with some trauma from his past that in an all too lifelike real way feels like he's experiencing it again so even though on the outside like he's doing good inside his head there's like a lot going on a lot that he's trying to kind of deal with like his his mental health is not in the best of places right now yeah and uh being in such a hostile environment is probably not doing him any favors yeah, I'm, I mean, I don't, it's not even so much the environment that's getting to him. I think it, it's experiencing such a traumatic loss while simultaneously never really coming to terms with or, you know, addressing his earlier trauma that was based around loss is kind of like, you know what I mean? You're like, you, you kind of push it down. And, and don't think about it and get it in the back of your mind. And for years you go on like that. And then bam, all of a sudden, like you have all this new trauma and guess what? You never dealt with the old trauma. So you can get a, a double scoop of trauma going on. Yep. That's probably a pretty relatable thing for a lot of people. And, uh, yeah, it is not, I mean, 
That is not Uhtred is just a mere man, despite what his <laughs> reputation might say. <laughs> right. It is, it is not a, that is not a pleasant experience to have to deal with. And, you know, putting it that way, being in this hostile environment is probably helping him. It's, it's giving him something to focus on instead of just like being lost in his thoughts. Like he's got, he's got a goal. He's got a destination that he needs to constantly be vigilant about reaching. Yeah. I, I think that that was taking effect, but honestly, father crow's disappearance is also doing a number on him because I feel more so than with anyone else, Uhtred and Father Crow were really developing, you know, if not a friendship, at, at least a trust between the two that that Father Crow was somebody that, you know, in, in a time of less composure was able to connect with Uhtred and, and give him a center, that kind of centering focus you were just talking about. So mm-hmm. just that random disappearance and that unknown question mark of what happened to him is, is now affecting on top. It's the kind of the, the almost third scoop of trauma that's going on, right? Yeah. Like, Yeah, also losing Father Crow, that definitely shook things up. Like, that's, that's good that you mentioned that because that definitely still eats at the last. Maybe not at the forefront of his mind, you know, like right this second. It's, a, it's been a little more uh, like, wow, finally some respite here in this task. But at all other times, it's you feel like a man down, right? Like we're adventuring yeah. with a man down in the worst place possible. Yeah. And, and that kind of goes right back into Uhtred's earlier trauma of that has a lot to do with the loss of a group of adventurers he was with, right? So yeah. it, it's not even like it's just in like different types of trauma that are stacking they're very almost like circular right they're very similar there's a lot of the same aspects going on so it's heightening that effect more i think for him okay uh who wants to go next uh vipira will so vipira has a pretty um inflated ego at this point she kind of knows like or at least like she feels that she's absolutely guided this group in the like correct direction with like the house of teeth uh with the uh the palace of teeth with just attacking uspid she might not understand like that was uh like the cause and the effect but she knew like one way or another like she was gonna get out of there and like all of her training had like led to that moment um simultaneously though She's very on edge about, like, Father Crow leaving. So she's still kind of, like, weary of this group. Like, she's willing to, like, sleep next to people and, like, she's willing to, like, go to bed kind of thing. But it's more along the lines of, like, something's up and, like, I don't know what it is. We all somehow, like, manage to, like, come together uh, like she's asking a lot of questions right now like a lot a lot of questions but she also feels like she's comfortable in this situation because like this is what she's trained for like this is what she's like uh been looking for okay and uh matt so rogiar is i think he's still not quite in his right mind since uh since his son died like 
he is very, very rarely without that little wooden bird in his hand. And like when it's not in his hand, it's in his belt pouch, and he's probably almost always got a hand resting on the pouch. Like that that thing is easily the most important object in his world right now. He's he's definitely respecting the group that he's in, but again, to bring it up, like the fact that Father Crow disappeared is like there's those doubts creeping into his mind. Like he's not so much worried about who's going to leave. It's more a matter of like, will enough people stick around to help Roger get home and get back to the family that he has left? He feels like he needs to at least explain what happened to his wife and his daughter before before they just find out that you know, him and his son died and they have no explanation as to why. He needs to get home to to give them that at least. Okay. So Rogiar's goals are I think one step beyond what anybody else is at right now. Okay. Yeah. yeah uh, he is, he is singularly focused on just getting home. All right. Uh, so we'll, with that, we'll, we'll dim the lights back up and everybody is, uh, has been munching on their rice and jerky for a few minutes. And, uh, Keisha Keish kind of like steps, steps up to like the head of the table and he's facing all of you. And he says, well, uh, after some more consulting of powerful magics and other uh, esotericities, I am sorry to report that I haven't the slightest clue what could have caused or created the obols stitched into your hearts. H- however, I believe they are objects of immense power, for they are charged with a huge amount of both positive and negative energy, a union that normally does not remain stable for for moments, let alone the days since you awoke in the boneyard. I don't have the equipment necessary for for any sort of tests, but my hypothesis is that your obols may, whether by design or accidental, uh, they they may offer some sort of protection of of you from from negative energy or, or necromancy. That's all I've been able to piece together, and uh, sadly, I think that's the best the best I can give you for now. So something is physically up with us that's allowing us, like it's within us, and that that's crazy. This guy doesn't even know what it is. Yeah, it does. It's everybody who's ha- like who's been able to example like psychopomps have an innate uh, way of kind of like seeing like. Uh, like seeing you both physically and metaphysically and the every psychopomp you've come across except for like the esso box that are just kind of like uh guard dogs i uh, have made some sort of comment of like whoa what's what's going on there like it's almost like uh like like how how neo can see people at the end of yeah, yeah. the matrix and so if if you could imagine how these psychopomps see you it would be like you know you're just like outline of of, of light but then there's like this like either either this like dark void on your hearts or it's like a, a like a twice as bright light on your hearts or maybe it's it's it switches between the two it's 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 not something that any of the psychopomps have been able to describe to you and it's probably not something that you can really picture uh without 
experiencing it for yourself. But yeah, there's there's something it's whether it's physical or metaphysical, it, it seems to be like directly tied to your hearts. And it's it's for real. <laughs> and he can't yeah. find any info on it. That's, that's yeah. wild. Yeah, that's the other that's the other uh, common denominator is nobody's ever seen anything like this. Uh, Kish Kish kind of gives you guys a a few minutes to kind of digest that, and he says, "So I I was doing some more thinking last night, and well, I you are a group of mortals whose whose fate must be so perplexing. I can't imagine what awaits you in your adventures, and so I I hope you would not." take offense to me asking you if I could possibly and he, uh, he takes out this deck of cards he says uh, if I could possibly perform a harrow reading for you. When, when he pulls out the harrow deck Uhtred definitely gets just a you know like in his mind he's like oh no and he thinks about the, uh, <laughs> oh! the card, card that's in his pocket still but doesn't make any reference to it Dude, that's okay. hysterical. I forgot about that. You have one of his cards. Yeah, I wonder if he notices his deck's not complete. Yeah, so he just kind of like is eagerly awaiting for an answer from you guys. Do we, what do we know about, do, is that something like that's U- unique Uhtred kind of knows about or? it. No, like, U- like remember when Uhtred drew the top card? Yeah. He like oh, yeah, had he, enough uh, knowledge to know kind of like w- what it yeah, symbolized yeah. to some degree. It's kind of the in-game like tarot cards. Yeah, just okay. just imagine how much you do or don't know about a tarot reading in real life. Like right, if I was like right. Joe, is, Joe, what what are tarot cards and what do they do? Like yeah. your answer might be like uh, I don't know. They tell my future. Well, tarot reading that yeah, couldn't hurt. That you know, I'm looking around seeing for if anyone else has an opinion on that. I'm I'm down. I think it would be awfully rude of us to deny that request, Kishikis. You have been more than gracious and helpful to us. Who are we to not accept any more help you're willing to give? Rogar just kind of shrugs and takes another bite of jerky. Uh, Kishikis, uh, he, his, his grin widens. He says, ah, very well. Uh, well, if, uh, if you don't mind, I'll just, and he kind of, like, takes the cards out and he starts, uh, starts shuffling. Oh, Cool sound effect. Yeah. Where'd Ooh, you get that from? That was no sound effect. I have a physical uh Harrow deck, uh compliments of Paizo. Uh they didn't they didn't personally mail it to me, I had to buy it, but uh yeah, there's uh so <laughs> Paizo's can, not sending us merch yet? That's not a anymore, problem. not after the incident. Uh we're gonna need you, the listeners, to show the full force of the mass brotherhood. Get Paizo to send us shit. <laughs> Specifically Harrow cards. Yeah, yeah. Start petitioning them. We we want to be an official Paizo podcast. So get on that. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so yeah, Hishikisha. Uh, uh, he starts shuffling these cards, and as while he shuffles, uh, he says, uh, "Now the cards are but a focus, a way for fate to ruffle its curtain and grant us a glimpse beyond. This is not a practice of precision, but of foresight and interpretation." First, we must submit a single question to the cards, one from which you collectively yearn to learn the answer. After proposing this question, you'll each choose one card. This card will represent your individual role regarding your collective fates concerning this question. Uh, Uhtred's nervousness heightens a little bit. He finishes, uh, he finishes shuffling, and, uh, 
Yeah, he looks at all of you and says, Now then, what questions shall we submit to the Harrow? Uhtred will look around the table to Vipira and Rogiar and Thalias, and he'll offer up, uh, I don't know about you, but I surely would love to know what would happen if we returned back to the material plane. And if you actually look at, if you actually look at Vipira, like, uh, you know, you might perceive that she's actually, like, genuinely, like, paying attention. She might be eating to, like, off-put it, but, like, she's definitely paying attention. Is everyone in agreement with that? Or is there something else that you find more pressing? I have a million questions, but that's the big one. How do we, you know, we know how to get out of here, but what happens when we get out of here? What's to become of us? What's, you know, anything we can learn? Yeah, that works for me. Yeah, Viper is genuinely gripped. Well, it's settled then, Keisha Keisha. We'd like to know what will happen to us if we are able to return to the material plane. So he... He's, uh, he nods his head. Home, a place of safety, of health. This is a question best represented by the Constitution suit. And he uh, he starts going through the the deck of cards. And uh, Uhtred would probably know this from his uh, knowledge check about Harrow cards. There's six suits in a Harrow deck. And each suit uh, corroborates with a single ability score in Pathfinder. So there's the strength suit, the dexterity suit, and so on. So as he's going through, he says, What fate awaits this group upon returning to their home? And uh, he's searching through the deck, setting aside a card or two every so often. And he gets to the end of the deck and reviews the cards he had set aside, but he looks confused. And uh, after a moment, a grin softens his face, and he looks at you all. And he says, It would seem that one of you has already chosen your role. The desert is missing. Uh, look around kind of, uh, you know, with that guilty look, Uchi goes, uh, yes, that, that actually would be me, Kishakish. And he pulls out the, uh, the desert card and, like, reaches it across the table to hand to Kishakish. He, he takes it, uh, still smiling. He doesn't seem upset. He kind of, he kind of seems, uh, like entertained like amused like what, like what yeah. yeah like what a happy like what a funny coincidence uh and he holds up the card uh for you all to see as i described when utra took this you see a a sphinx standing in a desert with a a starlit night and the sphinx uh wears a hat and uh holds a robed man in one of his uh front paws and uh he says the desert an environment so bleak that none can survive it without aid. For those who find that aid, the journey across can lead to great things. The Sphinx on this card sometimes refers to a mystic or doctor, bringing salvation in times of plague or illness. And he looks specifically at Uhtred. He says, your role is of giving aid, or perhaps receiving aid. Aid that might not be wanted at the time it is offered. And then to everyone else, he uh, holds out eight cards face down fanned out in his hands, prompting each of you to take one. Uh, I take one and I don't show it to anyone, because I know how these magic tricks work. And for the record, I chose the uh, sixth card. After you take it, Keisha Keisha like, holds his ha- other hand out to be giving it back. Oh, okay, I see how this works. <laughs> I give it back. So he puts your card down, face down on the, or face up on the table next to Uhtred's desert card. And you see what looks like maybe a dwarf 
uh, except his hair and, and beard are like made of flames. He's holding a mug in one hand and he's leaning against a giant hookah and he's blowing smoke rings up in the air and in the background it's just a curtain of fire. And Kishikish says, The Brass Dwarf, an Azer who represents invulnerability to a current danger. Although others might fall, he remains hale and strong. He can also represent failure or darkness for one, in turn saving all others around him from such danger. An important role, as much as it is foreboding. Oh, that's spooky. I'm getting chills. Who's next? Uh, Vipira is. Four. Okay. Uh, Vipira, you uh, pick your card and you see a pale-skinned woman. Uh, She looks very sickly, like her skin is peeling off of her frame. And uh, she holds in one hand uh, two dice showing snake eyes and the other hand she's holding uh like some sort of vegetables like leeks and uh there are flies buzzing around her head and kishiki says ah the sickness represents plague pestilence famine and disease it can also indicate corruption of the soul or even multitudes of souls your role may be the hinge between contracting these awful maladies and avoiding or even curing them and uh, then he holds the cards out to Rogiar. And Rogiar takes the the one on the end, the eighth one. Okay. On your card, you see a a pale-skinned, like perhaps a half-orc, and he is uh, uh, sitting on his shoulders. is a pale is a pale-skinned man uh, who looks like he's like whipping the half-orc and holding a harness fastened to a muzzle on the half-orc's face. And the half-orc is trudging through the mud. And Kishiki says. The Teamster is a driving external force that keeps the subject going no matter what. This force can be physical or mental. The force can be for good or ill, but cannot be ignored. The half-orc depicted is living a life of toil, but for his own betterment. Your role is of the group's force of will to go on. So then Kishikish puts all the drawn and undrawn cards back into the deck, and he reshuffles. And uh, as he's... uh. Speaking, he's placing more cards down on the table. He says, And now we will seek context. The cards will speak of the past, the present, and the future. And if we look carefully, we may be able to glean information and foresight of your fates as they pertain to your question. And Kishikish places nine cards in a three-by-three grid, face down, in front of him. And as he reveals the three leftmost cards, he says... Many consider the past to be the least important part of a Harrow reading. However, understanding our past is often the key to correctly reading our futures. Look closely. You see three cards. On the top of the 3x3 grid, uh, you see a blue dragon uh, curled around some sort of blue orb, and its front and back claws are like piercing into this blue orb and blood is leaking out from the wounds that the claws are leaving. Uh, on the next card, you see an anthropomorphic uh, reptilian creature uh, dressed in fine clothes, pinstripe pants and a shirt and tie and a top hat. And he sits on top of a faceless, naked human that is uh, face down in the fetal position. And the, uh, the reptilian creature is like stirring a cup of tea. The third card, you see a 
large man striding over trees that are coming up to his shins. And as he walks, he's juggling uh, several objects. You see a rowboat, you see like part of a broken tower, you see an elephant. He says, my word, your past is not a happy one. And he points to the blue dragon and he says, the tyrant indicates a ruler who is a blight upon those he ruled. The dragon may indicate a monarch, overseer, or even a head of household. Whoever this person is, he does harm to those over whom he holds sway, whether he realizes it or not. And he points to the, uh, the anthropomorphic uh, reptile, and he says, The Rakshasa, a card of dominance and mind control. The creature sitting serenely upon the slave's back indicates an exterior force imposing itself upon another being's mind. On occasion, the slavery is literal, but more often it is mental enslavement. And then he points to the, uh, the, the juggler. And the juggler represents fate, the gods, or those who play with the lives and destinies of others. If this titanic juggler can keep up his rhythm, he will achieve his goals. But the card is completely out of alignment in the spread. This juggler has faltered. Tragedy and failure are assured for those whose lives he has meddled in. And he kind of sits back and takes the three cards in. It's unclear to me if all three of these foreboding cards point to a single person or if your past contains multiple antagonists. I feel confident that the Tyrant and Rakshasa, at least, embody the same figure. Neither cards are perfectly aligned in the spread, so... This terrible ruler of both physical and mental subjugation, I think, did not rule over you or, or even your ancestors directly, but their rule did leave a heavy mark upon your lives in history. And then he pauses, he looks anxiously at the tyrant card. I am no scholar of Galarian history, but, well, as a psychopomp, even I know well the story of Tarbafon, the Whispering Tyrant. I am not eager to say so. But these cards may refer to the Lich himself, your town that was all killed overnight, leaving you all marked. He shakes his head. No, he remains trapped in his crypt, Gallowspire. If he had escaped, the news of such a calamitous event surely would have reached even here. Still, his significance in your past is not particularly exciting. Now the juggler, though, the card seems to point to someone else from Tarbafon's time who meddled in the lives of others, likely with good intentions, but their actions instead brought woe to those who tried to help. Again, I am no scholar of your history. Do you perhaps know of someone like this from the war your ancestors waged against Tarbafon? I'm absolutely enraptured in this. Is he talking about Roslar? I, he, he might, Thalias. I mean... Kishikish, when we first made our way, before I guess we made our way onto the boneyard, we awoke all of us inside tombs, which were inside of Rossler's tomb. The yes, great yes. Rossler. Yes, I do remember this from Thalias's story last night. But uh, is, is Roslaw such a historical figure? Is Did he bring about some calamity for somebody uh, in, in his time? Well, I, I don't believe he's most famous for fighting the minions of the Whispering Tyrant. 
him alongside his red strikes. So after some just general shrugs, uh, Kishikish uh, moves on. He says, well, I think we all knew your past was not going to be pleasant to read, but now we will interpret the present as it pertains to your fates and your question. With a chuckle, he flips over the three middle cards in the three by three grid. Going from top to bottom, uh, you see a purple-skinned, white-haired woman uh, holding one hand palm out with her thumb curled up underneath her other four fingers. And gripped in her fanged mouth, you see a large bulbous eye. And then you see a an older-looking man uh, standing in front of a, a, a large tome, which is open to a bookmarked page. And with one hand, he points down at the open page, and the other hand... He holds a single finger out with a, a flame uh, covering the tip of his finger. In the bottom card, you see a, a beautiful woman, but the bottom half of her body is serpentine. And in her hand, she holds a bouquet of wilting flowers. So Kishikish looks at the cards, and he, uh, he points to the middle card, and he says, The Hidden Truth. Mm, uh, this card does not speak to me where it sits in the spread. We'll move on for now. And he points at the bottom card, and he says, But the liar is love at its most treacherous. This is not the love that moves mountains. This love rips the heart in two and causes lovers to leap to their deaths. This lamia can mean obsession, unrequited passion, or doomed love. He points to the top card. And the mute hag may be silent, but the eye she holds lets her see into the hearts of men. This hag invokes blood pacts and poisonous secrets, the kind that turn brother against brother and son against father. However, this card is completely out of alignment in the spread, and so instead indicates unshakable loyalty and lucidity of speech. A happy turn of events for us. And he sits back again, he uh, looks at the, the middle three cards. And he eyes the liar card sadly. Though your home may be awaiting your return, those who once lived there are gone, taken from you in one swift moment of death. I believe the liar here represents the pain you carry with you on your journey. Though the card is not perfectly aligned, so the death that this pain leads to may be avoidable. And the mute hag, in its misaligned state, I think the cards have some advice for you. Do not forget this pain for it is real, and it is justified. Instead, rally before it. Let it unify you in your pursuit of getting home. This pain is personal like no other, but remember that it connects you all. And somewhat somberly, Kishikish flips over the final three cards, the rightmost column in the 3x3 grid. Yeah, as he's been doing this, flipping the cards and reading them, Flies is inching closer and closer to the table, like getting more hunched over. Yeah. To, like more enraptured by every word he says like what does it mean this is crazy Uchid <laughs> has like... also completely stopped eating at this point and like is every bit of focus is on this reading now nice. like each thing he says is more interesting than the last thing he says because it like all compounds right and it's just like <laughs> sitting there like what it's just vague enough that Uchid yeah. can relate to a lot of this yeah my mind is just racing like everything he says like wait the thing you just said, but now this thing, and does it apply to this or that? 
Yeah. Yeah. So th- the really cool thing about this is this is all like I'm I'm doing this now. Like th- this like I didn't like go through a bunch of different readings and be like, you know, oh, like that one wasn't exciting. I'll I'll do this one instead. Yeah. And I didn't like pick out specific cards. Like this this is a real reading that I'm doing for you guys. And so like and, and That's wild. again, like I'm interpreting them in a way where it's like it's it's it fits. But right. otherwise, like this is this is just the cards. So you see the the three right hand cards, and uh, on the top you see a a man uh, a cloaked man with his hood down and his face obscured, or his hood up, sorry, and his face obscured. And in his hands he holds a lock key, but instead of uh, in his hands he holds a key ring, but instead of uh, a metallic ring, uh, each key is actually protruding from the uh, cut-off fingers of a disembodied hand. The man stands in front of a stone wall with a stained-glass window. The next card, uh, you see a another giant uh, walking past a, a house that comes up to his shins, and uh, hefted over his shoulder is a some sort of large crocodile, like an alligator, that he holds by the tail, like it's a sack. And then the bottom card, probably... Rogyar at first, but eventually all of you would recognize as Rogyar's card, the teamster, with the half-orc charging through the mud and the man on his shoulders whipping him. When that card That's gets no revealed, coincidence. When that card gets revealed, like Rogyar, you would see Rogyar like stop mid-bite of like a piece of jerky and be like, "Wait, what? What's called?" <laughs> cool? And and or, uh, and uh, Kishikish uh, kind of like raises his his hands in excitement. He says, "Aha!" The teamster shows itself. Rogyar, listen well, for this future pertains to you most of all. He, he points to the uh, the top card, the, the man with the with a disembodied hand and the keys, and he says, The locksmith doesn't speak to me how it is in the spread. We'll skip that for now. But the mountain man signifies an encounter with a physical power outside of one's control. The giant could personify an authority, an army, an earthquake, or, or even a, a desperately needed rainstorm in a parched land. Submitting to the force may or may not be wise, but surviving it is paramount. This card is in perfect alignment in the spread, indicating a truly unignorable obstacle. Something monumental awaits you all upon your return to Roslar's coffer. He glances again at the tyrant card. Whatever this thing is, I fear it may be tied in some way to the Whispering Tyrant. I urge you to tread carefully. This reading speaks of great pain, of loss, and of impossible odds to overcome. You must trust one another, for together you are greater than the sum of your parts. Rogyar, your card's inclusion in the future says to me that your role of inspiring perseverance in the face of overwhelming adversity will be of utmost importance when facing whatever force awaits you all back in the material plane. And after a moment of reflection at these words, Kishikish begins collecting the cards once again. I hope this reading was enlightening for you. Surely it did not answer your question fully, but then few readings do. It was an honor to perform such a reading for a group with such unclear fates. He pulls out a single card and hands it to Uhtred. Uhtred, you turn it over and you see that it's the desert card. I think you should take this card with you. It was no accident. 
that the cards you pulled from the Harrow would have direct relevance to your reading. I hope that in carrying it with you, you will find deeper understanding in your role to play. Uh, I thank you, Kishikish. I, I agree. It feels like it belongs to me. And Uchid will take it back and return it to its new forever home in his pocket. <laughs> so what, what is everybody uh, thinking uh, post-Harrow reading? Uh, do you want to know what Uhtred's thinking, or do you want to know what Nick's thinking? Cause I want to <laughs> lay it on me, baby. <laughs> well, Uhtred is, his mind is blown because, you know, Whispering Tyrant. The, what's really blowing his mind is the fact that we woke up in Rossler's coffer in those tombs. Or not in Rossler's coffer, but in Rossler's tomb in yeah. the coffins. So, because he was kind of already perplexed by that. Like, remember when he was in the library, he was like, I want to look for anything about getting us out of here or anything about Rossler, right? So he kind of had just like a a gut feeling that, that there was more significance to that, right? Like, he hasn't yeah. forgot about that, you know, Viper is currently wielding Rossler's rapier and breastplate. Like, yeah, yep, yep. So... A lot of that reading felt like there was things that was kind of hunches or gut feelings going on in Uhtred's head that feel a lot more like, I can put this peg here, that peg there. And then Nick's thinking, the fact that you didn't go through and like look for specific cards and like write the reading is pretty mind-blowing at how well it lined up with things going on. Yeah, and uh, so on that note, like with you having the desert card, so there, there. And like, I want to say I'm this... really glad you gave that back to me because I was toying, <laughs> sitting here toying with the idea. Does Uchir ask for it back? Yeah. So I, I've got this little pamphlet that is kind of like my my Harrow reading uh, cheat sheet. Uh, tells me what each card can mean under some circumstances and how to just kind of like I could like mad ad lib a couple different uh like niche circumstances uh and for the the first part of the reading when every when the group asks their question uh there's a there's a, a guide in which suit you should choose based on the question and so you all ask you know what happens when we go home and the constitution suit corresponds with health home and pain uh-huh. and it was it was a com- like I just, like I did, I gave you guys no hints like no cues on what question you should ask and the question you all agreed on happened to be the suit that had a missing card in it <laughs> the desert card is from the constitution suit so that that part of the reading would have never happened if That's it was wild. a different card or a different question. So I love that so much. Ah, <laughs> uh, that's spooky. I'm yeah, right. That is, now. that is really creepy. <laughs> yeah, is the whispering tyrant fucking with us in the real world right now? Is that what's going on? <laughs> or he's waiting for us to come back or something? <laughs> this is the boneyard. Anybody else have uh, have thoughts I, in or out of it, character? Um, it kind of seems like we're fucked. Is that just me? Am I <laughs> overly worried? We're like, what's going to happen when we go back? And he's like, ah, yes, let me flip over these cards. And all of that interpreting, I'm sitting here going like, 
It sounds pretty bad. Like none of it was like, oh yes, like oh, oh great fortunes and um, you know, health and beauty and you know lavish living. It, it seemed kind of your like, lucky uh, numbers are eight, twelve, and twenty-two. <laughs> yeah. Can I can I ask you a question of you? Jim? Sure. I I think it's pretty established and it's been brought up multiple times at this point that like. Uhtred has a purpose, not only for why he wants to get back, but, like, what he needs to do after he gets back. And even Rogar has, to some degree, the same thing going on. Like, I'm curious as to what Elias' kind of, like, thought process was like. Is he just trying to get back to then what? Yeah, so Elias' whole thing was you know turning over his new chapter of his life like he was down in the dumps retreated to the graveyard and then is like becoming a real true paladin and so you know he doesn't know exactly where that's gonna take him and he's been spending time in the graveyard you know trying to find his purpose and now it's almost like a a stroke of luck and sort of fate to be caught up in this right with you guys like there's something more to it but I don't know what. So I'm pulling at this thread and, I'm, you know, I'm obviously trying to get home, but there's something between home and you guys and this place and okay. me. So you know, he, and he is feeling kind of that connection of like he's supposed to be here doing the, like this is his redemption tour, maybe. Yes, exactly. There's something here. I, I still don't know exactly what. And I'm not sure if I ever will. Right. With right. You know, yeah. it's, it's not like someone's like, oh, yeah, Thelias, by the way, like, here's your path. This has all been really crazy, so, you know, I'm still in a whirlwind. Is it fair to say that if we were to get back, he would be leaning towards helping Uhtred? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm like, you know, you don't go through something like this and then just go back to the graveyard being like, oh, I hope something comes to me. Right, right. (laughs) It's like, dude, what was that? What are you talking about? I will say, like, my Pira loved that. Um, Me, personally, that is that is so sick like <laughs> i used to do tarot reading. you can't have like a better lineup than that that's awesome i know uh, with this with this reading rogyar he was i mean i don't know how obvious i made it but he was very skeptical of the whole like oh using the cards to predict our future thing yeah, um, i mean you were still eating when he yeah. while he was doing it <laughs> <laughs> and then like you pull out the card that's supposed to represent rogyar with like the future and then you're telling him he's like you know, important to like yeah. future events, like on a world scale. And Rogar yeah. is now, R- now Rogar is definitely torn. Cause like on the one hand, he's like, okay, this is just a kind of a whole bunch of hocus and, oh, it's all coincidence and luck. And the other hand, he's like, could I possibly actually be important? I'm just a guy. I'm just a merchant. What that, what is that? Now you know, merchant anymore, baby. Yeah. <laughs> and what I love is like not 10 minutes before we did that reading, uh, Matt, you were saying like when Rogar gets back to the material plane, he's fucking off and like going back to his family. <laughs> and then the hair reading was like, your role is to keep everybody going in the future after yeah. you get back to the material plane. Like you are like without like, you, like <laughs> you the, are the like, linchpin. <laughs> yeah. So I was pretty tickled about that as well. So uh, Vipera kind of like asks Kisha Kish, I know you don't really, you haven't really traveled with our group, but we had one more uh person with us don't exactly know what happened to him uh but i would hope that it's not too much trouble if we can uh if i can pull one more card for him of course we can 
pull a card for Father Crow, but I, I will warn you that at this stage of the reading, anything I pull will... I, w- I would say it's merely for fun at this point. Any card we, we pull for someone else is the... The reading has already passed, but... Sure. Would you like to pull a card for this Father Crow? And he holds out five cards, face down, fanned out in his hand. Uh, I pull out the... I pull out the last card. So that's like the top of the like deck draw. So like she pulls out like the fifth card uh, in his hand. That would have been like the first off the deck. Uh, the card you pulled reveals a, a sea of uh, thorny tangled vines. And sticking up out of that sea of vines is a skeleton uh, that's like oh, almost like yo this is creepy like, <laughs> the skeleton is almost like crucified on this like big metal like pole with a sword kind of the the pole and then like the sword form a sort of cross and the skeleton is just kind of stuck up onto it by vines and uh for just like a second everybody just kind of looks at this thing speechless and kishikish says this is uh, the Tangled Briar. It is a card of ancient deeds. It indicates an object or person from long ago that will somehow have great influence on a situation. The object or person in question is one lost or murdered in some foul way. Stop it. You're just making this shit up now. <laughs> <laughs> you expect me to believe that that randomly just got ha- happened? Four Father oh Crow's God. card? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I was born at night, but it wasn't last night. <laughs> that is indeed the the card randomly drawn and what it represents. Oh my wow. god. So Keisha Keisha's looking around at you all who are probably like, ugh, shiver shiver and, and he says, uh, again, I, I, I caution you to not to, to take any meaning that this card might represent with a, a grain of salt. Uh, the the yeah. the reading has has ended and it that was just for fun it was just a joke I look over <laughs> <Yes>. at Vipira, <laughs> <visibly> shaken <laughs> and sad yes yes because everything about this journey has been normal of course that card will have no meaning towards us uh so yeah with that uh Keisha Keish kind of helps you guys uh gather your things he hands you uh the two backpacks that you had asked him to borrow uh, he like places them down on the dining room table, and uh, anybody who picks them up will notice that uh, the backpacks already have some extra things in them. In addition to the backpacks, he actually puts uh, four uh, sets of clothes down on the on the table, and they look like they're like very warm, like cold weather outfits. And he says, "I don't know if you've stuck your heads out uh, the window so far today, but uh, it is quite cold, and it would not be befitting of me as a host to send you off." Uh, into the cold unprepared. So you have uh, four sets of cold weather outfits, and uh, you look in the backpacks, and in one of the backpacks you see a wooden box, and in the box are six uh, six flasks uh, packed neatly in straw. And he explains that these are alkali flasks, and uh, they are basically splash weapons that you would use against an ooze. Friggin' sweet. In the other backpack... There are some wax-sealed bags of rice and two boxes of jerky and a cloak. And Kish Kish explains that this is a 
Cloak of Resistance plus one. Uh, so yeah, how are we distributing this uh, this loot? Well, we're all gonna need. We're just gonna take a cold weather outfit. Oh yeah. Hmm. I was kind of thinking of getting real bundled up. <laughs> just take all four of them and layer up. <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir, we're freezing. No, no, no. Oh wow. Uh, just so you know, a cold. So you don't have to wear this, or you could just kind of like you could take some layers off if you want, but. You know, you'll you'll have to see for yourself how cold it is outside. Uh, this is a mechanical side of the cold weather outfit. Uh, you're getting a plus five circumstance bonus on fortitude saves against exposure to cold weather, but they weigh seven pounds. Wow, that's fine Whoa. with me. Really? That's that's a lot of weight for clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, well, it's I mean, pro- it's like I, a, I assume it's got to include like a heavy jacket and stuff. Heavy coat, probably like snow pants, and like might even include boots. That's uh. Whew, that's going to leave me one pound short of being into a medium load. All right, cool. So uh, so who's getting what else? I imagine Thalias will be one of the two that has the backpack. I was going to say, uh, if we want, Rogar can can take the uh, can carry the other backpack. Like I said, it's not going to mechanically affect me, so Ro- Rogar can... He, he doesn't mind carrying some stuff. Uh, I was thinking Rogar would probably take the alchemical silver dagger. Since I don't think he actually has like a way to cut anything, right? That's true. He does not have any weapon. Well, he has a crowbar, but he doesn't have an actual weapon right now. Yeah. So yeah, he wouldn't mind having a dagger just just in case he needs to slice a little bit. So yeah, I can take that. Um, who's taking the the nine eaves key? I don't even remember what it does. Rogar would not mind having that because you know being able to open doors at a distance is nice for the for the ranged character. Um, uh, Uchra took the Pearl of Power since he's the only one that can use it. Okay. Uh, so who's carrying the alkali flasks? Uh, Rogyar or Thalias? I'd and say Thalias can carry rations. those. I'll take the rations. Yeah, Thalias tea. gets the box. <laughs> <laughs> now the fun bit. Who gets the Cloak of Resistance? As a tank, I would like it, but also um, I feel like Resistance is one of those things that I don't not necessarily a tanking thing. Uh, I think actually it's the opposite, right? Resistance is one of those things that there's a good case for everybody to A, want it, and B, yeah. need it. Yeah. So I think yeah, this is I'm a saying. good just roll for it situation. Each just roll oh, well, uh, My peer is not joining th- in on that. I'll say my argument, my, I would say that I think we want Thalias to have this because he's the guy that has all of our healing capabilities. So if anything bad happens, we want it to affect him the least because then he would be the one that can help everyone else. Uh, yeah, I mean Uchard's fine with that. He wasn't gonna roll on the on the cloak either, anyways. So and, it's, and it sounds like Vipera wasn't either, and Rogiara allows Thalias to take it too. So oh, okay. perfect. Okay, so with that, leaving Nineve's Manor, your one respite and safety that you've known this entire trip and returned to the dead roads. Well, why do you got to say it like that? Yeah, I just calls it like it is. All right, so, uh, yeah, you guys are back in the dead roads. Just and now it's of... snowing. Yeah, uh, so it's it's currently snowing on the dead roads, and it's already kind of starting to stick. And several hours pass, pretty uneventfully. You feel uh, significantly more weighed down than you felt before nine eaves but you're at least warm and it's been 
probably about six hours, you come across an intersection. You've been traveling the dead roads and they, and the, the dead roads lead to anywhere in the entire material plane. So like the one route you are taking is specific from getting from the specific point on the boneyard that you left from and getting to the specific point in the material plane that you are heading to. And meanwhile, the dead roads just crisscross almost infinitely uh, beyond that. You have encountered several intersections, uh, so this is not anything particularly new, but it almost looks like you're in like an intersection in a town almost. I'm How many sure. roads are there? Is it a full four-way intersection? It looks like a full four-way intersection. On your left, it looks like maybe like a store. On your right, looks like it could be an inn. And then ahead of you, you see what maybe looks like a, a, a tavern and a, a blacksmith. And as you're approaching the intersection, you start to hear voices. Sounds like a small group of people, like around the corner to your left. You can't currently see them because they're around the corner. Yo, voices, I'm totally not okay with. I'm <laughs> on like high alert after hearing voices and getting everyone to, shh, you know, group up. Hold on, you know, let's, what are we doing? Yeah, yeah, I the think first Uchard's other gonna... people we've encountered since walking the dead roads. Yeah, I think Uchard's going to draw a scimitar. You hear, uh, you hear the voices, shh, shh, did you hear that? And then calling across the, from the, uh, around the corner, you hear, uh, hello, who, who goes there? Uchard Bebenba. Uh, who are you? I am Barafin. What brings you to the dead roads, Uchard? Merely trying to make my way back home. And you see, uh, from around the corner, a man appears. And he has this, like, pale blue skin, and he has a short-cut hair and a neat beard. But his hair and his beard are both stark white, and he holds uh, a bow, and the bowstring is, like, partially drawn back. He doesn't have it aimed at you, but it's, like, at the ready. Oh, yeah. No, I understand. And Ushid can appreciate that, since he's got his scimitar drawn, but, like, you know, not pointed in front of him. He says, uh... My group and I were just passing through ourselves. We're making our way to the boneyard. Well, you're going in opposite directions then. So it would seem. Uh, we were actually just looking for a place to hold up for the... And he, he like looks around and says, Well, I was going to say for the night, but... Mm, I don't know if that would be wise. Why do you say that? Uh, just, you never know if there's things living here. True, but I would rather put myself inside of some walls and under a roof while I rest instead of laying sprawled out in the middle of the road if I can help it. Well, dang it. I see you are a true adventurer and I will not be able to scare you off of this sweet camping place. <laughs> in light of such things, may I propose maybe we can benefit to each other. I mean, they're there, there's more than enough buildings here. We could just take one of the other ones. He nods his head and he uh, he kind of like motions behind himself at the uh, like somebody else standing back there, and uh, out walks a small group of people, and you see three other people that look pretty similar to Barafin. Everybody has this pale blue skin. Another one has like, ear length red hair. Uh, you see a female with black hair and a simple braid. 
and another one with uh with also with black hair and he has a long beard and anybody who wants that to tech- any knowledge planes check I didn't do well it's a 14 you recognize these creatures as dusk walkers hmm dusk walkers are gray skinned beings uh, or maybe gray blue skinned beings that are in- incarnated from souls that have earned the honor of a second life the souls that become Duskwalkers have often distinguished themselves in the eyes of psychopomps as guardians of the cycle of birth and death. Other than their gray skin, their physical features bear some resemblance to those they held in their previous lives, but otherwise there's no real connection uh, physically, uh, mentally, or emotionally to you know, whoever they used to be in another life. It's just the same soul, but otherwise it's like a blank slate. Well, that's crazy. Also with this group, you see a fifth creature actually like laying on a on what looks like a stretcher or a cot that has been uh, outfitted to be uh, like carried slash wheeled along the road. And a stretcher like an it is someone injured? Yeah, so the person is like laying on it and like they're clearly unconscious or maybe even like dead. Their their eyes are wide open and they're not moving. But every once in a while, you hear like maybe like a whisper, and you see like a like the, the tiniest, almost imperceivable like twitch, and like behind their eyes, and maybe even like out of their mouth, you see like this strange reddish light. Like there's just like something, like just just out of sight, like behind their eyes or like inside them. It's very strange. The dusk walker that. Uh, you've already met. He says, uh, this is the rest of my party. Uh, he, he points to the red-haired Duskwalker. He says, this is Rancer. And the, the woman says, this is Paula. The one with the long beard says, this is Sheen. And he, uh, he points to the one on the stretcher. And it, it is a female, by the way. Uh, and it, it looks to be like a normal human. It doesn't look to be a Duskwalker. Uh, he says, and this is Lilum. Uh, she's a, a dear friend of ours who recently passed away, but something went wrong and her soul isn't able to leave her body. We're taking her to the Sense bone to see what we can do to help. And, uh, one second. And as he's finished speaking, you see a, uh, a songbird fly in and, like, perch itself on the stretcher. Like, not, not directly on Lilum, but uh, like on the stretcher, and you recognize it as a Nosoi psychopomp, just like Umble, who you met uh, in the boneyard. The Nosoi lands on the stretcher, and Barafin kind of like, almost like, he almost like visibly sighs, and he says, and this is Harmagar. And the psychopomp says, Hello, hello, travelers. My name is Harmagar. What brings you to this intersection of the dead roads? And Barafin does not, uh, does not seem, uh, pleased by his presence uh so utrid you had made a sense motive check yeah just kind of on the the key things he was curious about was is this really their whole group and then um is his story feel like uh, he's being truthful here oh did that person really like did that person die was it an accident was it something else killed her did they kill her is she actually dead okay the DC of your sense motive check is 18. Ah, well, you know, tie goes to the defender, so I guess I don't know. That's all right. <laughs> Rogier got a 19, so Rogier knows. 
There are oh, no ties. Your DC is 18. You got an 18. Therefore, you passed. When you're making an attack roll, their armor class is your DC. Listen, if listen, your attack I'm, roll is the DC, you don't I'm making, tie. You I'm making an the intro role. stating my case for why on attack rolls tie should go to the defender. I've already decided and been thinking of how I'm going to present my argument. But that will There's be an no intro. There's no tie, though. You not tie. I was, anything. dude. I was, yo. I was, calm down. I was making a joke. <laughs> like, I was being he sarcastic. He does it every time, and Axel gets equally upset every time, if not more so. <laughs> the joke was that, well, I even though this is what I always argue for, it hurts me in this instance. I'm sorry. I think I was just triggered because the argument is bled into skill checks. Now. <laughs> um. Okay, so Uhtred and Rogar, you both rolled sense motive, and so does Thalias. Last got a 13. Uh, uh, Uhtred and Rogar, with your 18 and 19, uh, you're not sensing any deceptions, so to speak, but you are also sensing a like complete and utter apathy for who, according to Barafin, is their dear friend and also dead, and also their soul is trapped in their body. Alright, so my guard was already up, and now we, like, pulled the drawbridge up. You don't seem terribly broken up about your, uh, dead friend there. Whew, look at the balls on Rogiar, just going <laughs> right in on addressing it. I love it. <laughs> um, well, he's got three bodyguards in front of him, so he'll be a little more brave. <laughs> the bra- he's the bravest merchant man I've ever known. The 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 other three uh, Duskwalkers kind of, like, look at Barafin, and Barafin looks back at Rogyar, and he says, uh, grief takes many forms, dwarf. I don't suppose, uh, and it's like extremely tense all of a sudden. The, the dead body of Lilith continues to kind of like simmer on the stretcher. I don't like the way that guy said dwarf. We're friends of Umble and Thoot. We plan on moving on just passing our way through. If you want to know which way the boneyard is, it is that way. Umble uh, and Thoot! Harmagar uh, cuts in. He says, says, ah, Umble! Uh, how, how is that? How is that fellow? He, uh, I haven't seen him in, in quite some time. Maybe I'll bump into him when we get to the boneyard. How's he doing? How's his friend Thoot? Uh, they seem to be doing much better now that they've helped the souls of Rossler's coffer. Uh, move on. Uh, so Barafin uh, kind of nods his head at you all, and he says, how about you? What brings you to the Dead Roads? You said you were traveling home. Yes. That what is what brings me to the Dead Roads. I'm traveling home. What brought you to the Boneyard? Well, actually, that is quite the story. We don't fully know, so we're just heading home. As far as we know, it was some big cosmic mistake, and we're just trying to correct it and get back home to our lives. What they say is true. We're just we don't know how we ended up on the bone in the boneyard, and we're merely trying to get back home. Well, uh, as I said, we've been traveling for quite some time, and are, we're looking for a safe place to hunker down. So, if you don't mind, uh, we would like to of course get not. to it. I assume they start heading in towards, like, whatever building they're going in. Well, yeah, so while uh, they're, they're still kind of, like, uh, sizing you guys up while you're sizing them up, 
it looks like there's some like consent to of like yeah go ahead they start kind of like looking around at like the different all right bef- before they actually start to like move Uchi yeah. would say uh Berifin, just a piece of advice when you get to the palace of the teeth they have quite a fascination for teeth and Uchid flashes him a full grin exposing all this oh missing teeth <laughs> he just kind of furrows his brow and says I'll keep that in mind thanks you're welcome if nobody interrupts them they stash their weapons again and start looking around at the buildings so yeah what are you guys doing we're gonna claim the inn if that's what we're doing <laughs> Is there, like, a, a distinctive inn? Uh, just from looking at the outside of the sides of the building, you're pretty sure that the one to your right is an inn, and the one to your left, it looks like like, like a storefront. Ooh, I kind of want to look at both of them. Yeah, well, Rogier wants to claim the one that might have beds in it. Yeah, but Uhtred also might want to claim the one that has more things valuable than a bed. But I, I don't want to split, so... I'll, uh, you guys got that uh, taste for bed that I got? Yeah, <laughs> probably. And we have just been trudging for six hours in the snow. All right, yeah. Uchid will, will have a fleeting moment of, man, I'd like to check out that storefront. And then beds. Yeah, beds. That's what I want. Beds. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You you go into the building to your right, and inside you, you see like the like a front desk. And uh, like a round, like a, a round table of like a common room, and just going beyond that, you see a couple hallways, and each hallway leads to several, several rooms. Uh, there's clearly some economy class rooms and some nicer first class rooms. Is everybody going in here? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm not gonna let him go alone. So if he is going deep into this thing, there's no way. He's oh yeah. Come down Before there. anybody goes to sleep, we're checking every room of this place oh yeah yeah <laughs> okay uh it's it seems uh innocuous enough and i'll be detecting magic through every room as well uh you're not detecting any magic the building seems pretty clear of any dangers the the rooms on the south side look like the roomiest as you're kind of exploring the rooms you know saying like oh i want this room i want that room you see Barafin come in to the inn, and he says, well, the buildings up north are a tavern and a blacksmith. Looks like this is the only building with any beds. So if you don't mind, we'd like to take our our share of rooms in here. Oh, boy. Yeah. Not sure I love that. How many beds are actually in here? There's a lot. Like, y- you guys could easily uh, okay, everyone can have fit both bed. of your parties. Like, I think we should pull one of the beds into one of the rooms with two beds. So so we can all be in the same room. Yeah, so we can all be in the same room. I don't really want us to be split across a hallway in two separate rooms. Yeah, that seems sketchy. I don't even want to be in the same building with these guys. Yeah, I mean... He's right? I, I, <laughs> well... Do what you must. I'm sure you're looking for a bed as much as we are. And uh, Uchid will start pulling the uh, single bed out of this room and placing it into the double bed, the, the this the room next to it with two beds. Okay. Elias helps. I like what you're doing there. That's smart. It's hard to argue with. 
what are they going to be like? Oh, leave that there. So you're you're you know? you're all cramming into one of the smaller rooms. Uh, no, one of the bigger rooms. No, we're taking so when you first walk in, uh, we're taking the single bed out of the first room on the right, and we're yeah. putting it into the second room on the right that already has two beds in it. So there'll be three beds in that room. Okay, there's four of you. Well, yeah, I figure we're gonna do we're gonna do watches. So like, oh, okay, yeah, we all uh, sleep all right. uh, where the last person left. All right, as you're like getting all your things ready, uh, you hear similar sounds coming from outside your room. Sounds like they're kind of pushing a bunch of beds into another room. With that, I guess who wants to do the first watch? Uh, Viper will. Okay. Second. Uh, so. Yeah, I'll I'll take first watch. You you all you all get your rest. Okay. Hyperia, don't hesitate to call for us if something happens. We'll be there oh, right away. I believe it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I I don't fully trust these people. I just have a gut feeling about it. So stay very aware when you're on your watch. Fully trust? I don't trust them at all. Well. To that note, Royar, I know usually you don't partake in our watches, but if you wouldn't mind assisting me on the third watch, I would appreciate it. Royar was actually going to offer to do that anyway, so yeah, he, he readily agrees. That's fine. Vipira also uh, turns to Thelias. Um, Thelias, before you go to bed, uh, do you mind uh, hitting me up uh, with a heal or two? Yeah, same and here. Actually. As you say that, uh, I pretend like that was my plan all along. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you just didn't give me a chance. Here, here, that's what I was just gonna say. <laughs> How much I are take you missing? Out the bead. Uh, currently, I, I'm, I think I'm missing six. <laughs> I'm still down ten. <laughs> oh, you should probably and slap them I'm both a little down. bit. <laughs> you guys are I think all down. Is missing. I'm missing twelve. Holy crap! Yeah, definitely. <laughs> let's try and get some people healed up here. Yeah, you, like use your lay on hands real quick here, and then we'll see how we're looking in the morning if we make it till morning. Well, I mean, we also have that uh, bead. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Use, yeah. The I'm gonna, use the bead on yourself. I'm gonna bead. Yeah, I'll bead myself. What is it? One d eight plus three. One? Three, three um, plus five. five. You know what? Hold on. I'll turn. Hold, hold on. Oh, hold yeah, on. Before right, you roll for that, do we want to maybe save the bead? I can see us being like, yeah, let's use the bead, overheal someone real quick, and Axel's just like, good, good. These guys definitely aren't gonna fuck with you in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, okay. I, I would I'm still, down with saving bead. I don't know. I would still rather use it now and have it for tomorrow. Well, I'm saying, we, but what if we they attack us before tomorrow? Like maybe we I'd rather have more work. health. I'd rather have more health now for that fight than wait and see how if if we have enough to last. Right, but maybe that fight. use the lay of hands which recharge first and see where we're at before we blow the big guy. Like our I own mean, fuck they, heal. They all recharge at the same time. Except for the yeah. fact if we don't make it all the way through the night, I'm worried we're going to have nothing to heal with if they fuck with us. Just I mean, it's wand. up to Joe. It was just... I'm yeah. just Now, that's thinking. a good thought, but my lay on hands aren't going to get the job done, I promise. So we're either using the <laughs> wand or the bead, and the bead to get 12 out of it on me, like getting me out of the way, is going to be huge. Okay. So let's do that. Oh, God. Damn it. I'm such a jerk. <laughs> my best roll yet. <laughs> Overheal by 11. God, don't. Alex, please. <laughs> don't math in front of me. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, max out the other two and three lay of hands. Yeah, my children come to me. I hold my hands up. And the power vested to me from Shaylin. Hey. Five to you, my son. 
Okay. And five to you, my son. <laughs> uh, Again, Rogar. Oh, okay. And now you should be feeling pretty good. So yeah, I'll that just topped me off and... perfectly, so. Yes, I, I put my hand on uh, Vipira's forehead. Uh, <laughs> oh, my to, God. To my child. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, another four for you. Oh, okay. You you hit it right on. All right. Oh, that's right, because you have five uses a day because your feet, right? Yeah, so he's got one That's left. right. Oh, okay. One more, baby. One in the bank. That was well, perfect. Whoa, whoa, there's right. no, well, we're all full yeah, now. We're good. Yeah, everyone's full. Well, I'm saying that was perfect because I have oh, one left. Oh, now you have one left. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. Time for bed. Okay. So with that, we'll uh, we'll look at Vipira's, Vipira's watch. Why don't you give it, go ahead and give me a perception check next week on the Inspired oh, Competence okay. Podcast. Oh, you took a second there. <laughs> that makes sense. See ya. Uh, see ya. See ya. See ya.